So when your frame of reference is death, nothing can essentially break you. So it completely changed my mindset from an athletic standpoint, from an entrepreneur standpoint. And it just allows me to never get too low on anything or honestly too high on anything because just knowing how fragile life is and, you know, staring death in the eyes in that sort. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. I interview the top commercial real estate investors and industry experts so you can learn from their experiences. So if you're an investor, a high W-2 earner or real estate or tech sales professional that wants to invest in real estate without having to manage properties or leave your day job, then this podcast is for you. Or if you're already investing in real estate, but you're doing it part-time and you want to become a full-time multifamily or full-time commercial real estate investor, this podcast is for you too. You're going to learn a ton. You will learn from real-life multifamily investors and other professionals in the industry. They're going to share their blueprints for success. And I'm super excited that you're here. So I hope you enjoy the show. All right. Hello. Hello. This is Abel Pacheco, your host for the Five Talents Podcast. I'm super excited today to have just an amazing guest, Mr. Hakeem Valles. Hakeem, thank you very much for joining, man. I'm excited. Absolutely, Abel. Really, really appreciate you uh, having me on as a guest on your show, man. Man, for those that don't know, Hakeem, you need to get in his world. You can find him on a few different platforms. I'll let him obviously talk about all of them. But for background, for those that don't know, you know, him, his name, you absolutely need to get connected to him. You're going to learn a ton and he's going to provide a lot of value to you. But his background, he spent a few years in the NFL. He was a tight end. He played for the Detroit Lions, New York Giants, Arizona Cardinals. And he's an eight-year real estate investor. He's a cannabis investor. He's a keynote speaker. He's the founder of Perspective Global Media. And he has just, you know, one of those tremendous, amazing stories that you, the moment you hear a little bit about his background, you're like, man, I, I got to learn more. And uh, he's inspired me, motivated me in, in a few different ways. And uh, just wanted to tell him thank you very much again, man, for joining. Thanks for giving content and, and just doing your thing, man. So let me turn it over to you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and then, you know, we can kind of back up into uh, what you're doing today. Absolutely. Uh, first off, I appreciate the kind and uh, warm intro, Abel. A little bit about myself. Uh, my name's Hakeem, originally from South Jersey, about 15, 20 minutes outside of Philadelphia. People where I'm from just say they're from Philly. Prided myself as a long, just a lifelong entrepreneur and I've always just come from a place of self-awareness, always knew I was an entrepreneur and always knew I was an athlete. You know, fifth grade, I was the kid with the landscaping company, having my older brother driving me all around town, putting up Craigslist ads. Seventh grade, I, I used to have a Skittles, I used to flip Skittles. I was a kid with two backpacks, hustling Skittles in middle school. And then when I went to high school, going into college, I, I had an iPhone repair business and fixed three to four phones a day. And, you know, Back then, it wasn't called entrepreneurship or anything like that. I don't know what I was doing. I was just, I knew it was the right thing to do. My DNA was telling me to do that. My degree in, in college, I went to Monmouth University. It's uh, one of the few schools that offers a degree of uh, business with a concentration in real estate. So at the same time, the girl I was dating, her dad had just started a house flipping business and he took me under his wing and we flipped about 10 houses together up in North Jersey. So it was like a 
in my opinion, it felt like a real life rich dad, poor dad experience. It was my rich dad in that sense was my ex-girlfriend's dad who was teaching me the ropes of commercial, not even commercial, fix and flip and just being an entrepreneur in real estate. And then I was in the classroom at the same time learning how to be an employee at like a big CBRE or Marcus Millichap or something of that sort, you know, learning about cap rates and NOIs and all that type of stuff super, super early. So it was it was an awesome hand in hand experience, yeah, which, which ultimately set the framework for. Yeah, you know, which, man, I'm so excited. I cut you off. I apologize. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, I was about to say most people don't have the ability to have the experience and you know, the theory and then practical application. Like, so it was wild. I'm like, I'm on the site actually flipping it. And then I'm in the classroom the next day. And I'm like, it was interesting because all my classmates wanted to become employees. And I'm like, I want to own these buildings. So like, can you actually show me the other way about it and not how to be an employee working this? But yeah, it it was awesome. I love the real estate education. I've heard more and more people that I've interviewed that are you know a little younger than me. I'm, for, I'm like 41, but it's like, hey, they had a concentration in real estate investing, and and there wasn't those programs in when I started college in '98. So yeah, I think uh, it was only pretty cool. twelve. I think there was only twelve when I was in 2011 when I went in for my undergrad. I definitely think it's increased, and a lot of these schools have pretty cool real estate investment clubs. I've been doing a lot of speaking at a lot, a lot of different uh, university investment clubs, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, so. Before we really get into it, you know, I've had more than a few NFL football players or professional athletes. I do want to touch on this because real estate is so mindset driven. Like you have to have a great mindset and to lay this foundation. You can learn all this technical stuff, but if you don't apply it, man, it's just like knowledge that never does anything for you. Right. So That's you had to have some type of amazing drive, motivation, passion, like dedication, all of the things of perseverance. You probably got your teeth kicked in literally and you know, physically, mentally throughout that, that journey. Man, give us a few nuggets like that you take from your NFL, like whether you, how you got there, you know, in there, you still apply today. Honestly, for me, it all stems and comes from a place of gratitude. Football, real estate wise, I'm sure you've heard the story. I started, you know, in college from a football standpoint, I was a bench player, like did not see the field my first three years. I came in as a wide receiver, rode the bench, didn't play. Senior year, made the move to tight end from receiver to uh, tight end. First game of senior year, I got my first catch. Second game, I got my first touchdown. Started every game after that. And like the only reason why I actually moved to tight end is because at this point, I didn't think I was going to the NFL. I just wanted to get a free MBA and I needed to stay in college for five years in order to get it versus yeah. four. Yeah. And the school wasn't going to give me my red shirt senior year if I was just a bench player. So yeah. I yeah. moved to tight end literally tactically because like, I think I'm going to get on the field at tight end. So maybe they'll give me a fifth year. And after balling out, it started to paint a real picture. That, one, I'm actually pretty good at this. Two, at the same time, my little brother had just gotten drafted to the Oakland Raiders in the sixth round, like before me, he got drafted as a 20 year old little brother, right? Sibling's rivalry, you know, watching your little sibling make it. I'm like, Oh, if he can do it, I can do it. We used to share a bathtub when we were kids. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, Yeah. That's pretty real. Yeah. And then mentally where the gratitude kind of came in is in between my senior year and my fifth year, I went on a missionary trip with my mom, my dad, my grandma. We went out to Haiti went out there with members of our church and nurses from Villanova University. And our mission was to give out medicine to different churches and orphanages across the country. And for me, I'm Haitian. 
Uh, my grandparents are Haitian immigrants and being ingrained in your real roots and culture was one of the most beautiful weeks of my entire life. And it was the Thursday, it was Thursday, the 29th of May, 2015, it's 2.30 in the morning. We were playing the card game Spades and there was, Haiti is kind of a muggy country. So there's a lot of bugs. And we had one of those electric fly swatters that you like smack bugs with. Yeah. And there was a storm that night. So we had a steel dead bolted door, like with a long bar that went across it, but we opened it up to let a breeze come through the, the screen door. And while we're playing cards, all of a sudden you hear this loud pow. And like my initial reaction was who's, you know, hitting flies at 2.30 in the morning. Cause when you hit like one of those fat flies with the electric fly swatter, it makes like a really loud, like pss, pss, sound. And I'm frozen thinking it was the fly swatter, but in reality it was a gunshot. And all of a sudden you see a foot kick through that screen door and eight bandits storm into our compound. There's a guy sitting across the table from me, realizes what's happening. I'm still frozen. He tackles me out of my chair. That guy who shot through the front door shoots at us point blank range. Then there's a girl next to us who has a shawl on and they, they rip the shawl into pieces and they hog tie us. So hands tied behind our backs, feet tied at our ankles, blindfolded, hands tied to our feet. And, you know, essentially at peace with the fact that we were dead. You know, I don't speak Creole. So everything's going in one ear and out the other. And I'm just screaming and crying, missionary, missionary, urinated myself and didn't even realize it. And ultimately it was 45 minutes of hell. You know, they went room to room, stole everything. We had a pastor with us who was in a bedroom that if you didn't know where it was. You'd have never looked there. And he calls the police, you know, come through, send help. We're under attack. The cops go, where are you guys located at? Nope, we don't come to that neighborhood. Good luck. Click and hang up on him. And then they call, he calls the next door neighbor and was like, go outside with your gun and just empty your clip out in the air. So now outside, from my vantage point, you just hear all these gunshots going off outside. And like, I think the country's under attack. I really don't know what is happening at this point. Cause you know, your mindset is you're in this country helping people. And now all of a sudden you're you're staring at death at the end of the day. When those gunshots go off, we thought they had left, but on our compound, we'd also had a medical clinic. And when they left, my dad, who's former U.S. Army, former state trooper, unties himself, crawls out and sees if anyone got hit. And, you know, from his vantage point, he wakes up hearing his son screaming and gunshots and he closes the steel door, starts to untie me. And then you hear banging on the door again. And a bunch of bandits screaming in Creole. And we think we're safe now because we're now dead bolted in versus before we were, you know, vulnerable with just the screen door there. So then they start shooting out all the windows. So there's just bullets flying through the house and, you know, we're on the deck again. My dad's like, okay, okay, okay. Opens up the door for them. I think they're going to kill him at this point. They rough him up, tie him back up, throw him on top of me, go through the house again, steal more stuff. And after about 45 minutes of hell, finally the police come. They were there for five to 10 minutes, told us, take pictures if we've got cameras and bring them by the station if you feel like it and good luck. And that, you know, I was on the next flight out of Haiti the next day. And personally, I credit overcoming that traumatic experience is what made me the person who I am today. You know, that happened on a Thursday and I started training summer school wise for my next upcoming college football season that Monday. And, you know, it was rough at first, you know, the PTSD to deal with, but overcoming that just put my mindset in such a like a calloused place that it was nothing could break me. You know, I'm training, you know, feeling like you're you're crushed. And it's like I'm not in a third world country covered in my own urine at this point. So tough it up and keep going. Or if you're talking business or real estate or entrepreneurship, it's like, okay, you lost a client, 
you're not dead. You screwed yeah. up this deal. You're still breathing. Like, so when your frame of reference is death, nothing can essentially break you. So it completely changed my mindset from an athletic standpoint, from an entrepreneur standpoint. And it just allows me to never get too low on anything or honestly too high on anything because just knowing how fragile life is and, you know, staring death in the eyes in that sort. Yeah. I first heard this story on your uh, podcast interview with uh, with my partner. I've done a few hundred doors with him, Devin Elder on the DJE podcast. And and I was like in my truck and I'm listening. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I thought we were talking about real estate. <laughs> and I go, what in the, oh my gosh. And I'm just kind of listening to this story floored and y'all's conversation back and forth, like moved me to no end because, you know, like you said, man, that was your fuel. That's the motivation. That's the mindset. That was, you know, probably shocking, terrifying, horrifying on one end, like you said, PTSD going back to, you know, going back to a regular life on Monday. But now, uh, like probably a, one of those freeing, you know, moments in your life where you're like, nothing I've, nothing I'm going to go through was as difficult as that. And now you could just absolutely charge forward. And man, it's crazy. That's an amazing story. And I'm thankful you uh, shared it on our, our show as well, man. Absolutely. I try and challenge people all the time. I think everybody has these inflection points throughout their life that, you know, some people just forget about, you know, whether it's trauma, whether it's pain, whether, whatever it is. But I think I challenge people to just, you know, frame your toughest times that you're going through and throughout your future against those moments, because you're still standing, you're still breathing at the end of the day. Yeah, baby. Get it on. That's awesome. So you use this, obviously, every single day, I'm sure your motivation mindset up bullying forward, you spend some time in the NFL, there was a light bulb moment. And I've heard you, you know, talk through some of this and share whatever you like, but those moments to say, you know what, I've got to figure something else out and real estate. So let, you know, talk us through like, you know, first deal, second deal, third deal, where you're going today. I've heard you talk about underwriting a number of deals, working in different networks, how you hired like a company to help you do demographic studies on markets, man, Absolutely. share whatever you feel like. Cause you've got a lot of, you got a different mindsets. Absolutely. So how the process ensued was, you know, shortly after I finished my final season in college in 26, 2015. Mm-hmm. And when I realized I'm actually an NFL prospect, I had to actually put my MBA on pause come January of 2016. Mm-hmm. And because I needed to train for the draft come April of 2016. And there was a training facility about an hour and a half away from my school that my agent wound up covering. And I kind of had an oh crap moment when I put my MBA on pause of like, man, I got four months of training here. But at the end of this four months, if I don't make it to the NFL, I had went to boarding school as well for high school. So I'd been out of the house for nine years at this point. Mm-hmm. It's like, damn, I'm going back home and I'm living on the couch because I've been, you know, not cruising it, but I've been on my own for the past. Not on my own. But my parents are some of the biggest supporters out there because I don't want to act like I'm just this self-made you know, person. Yeah. None of us really are. Yeah. Everybody's <laughs> successful has had a bunch of people help them, whether they admit it or point. not. But go ahead. Yeah. And I uh, had that oh crap moment of, man, if I don't make it to the NFL, I'm going back home. So uh, I really had to make a decision right then and there of like, if I make it to the NFL, I'm doing real estate because I feel like I'm almost vulnerable from being just this one trick pony as an athlete. Because what I didn't tell you is my ex-girlfriend and, and I had broken up. So I wasn't no longer working with her dad on fixing and flipping properties anymore. Yeah, yeah. So I decided if I make it to the NFL, I'm doing real estate. And if I don't make it to the NFL, I'm doing real estate. And that was actually when I found Bigger Pocket. So it's January of 2016, started listening to their podcast. 
had an hour and a half commute every day. It was also about three hours of driving and an hour for lunch. And then when I was working out, like lifting at the facility, I was only listening to podcasts from Bigger Pockets and every book that every guest recommended. I would listen to the audio book of it. And like on top of having a college education in real estate, on top of flipping houses, listening to Bigger Pockets, I was like, oh my gosh, there's a whole nother world out there because I was so focused on just fix and flip and then focused on just the actual terminologies of commercial real estate in that sense. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, cool, whatever market I go to, I'm doing it. And if I don't make it, I'm doing it. And after, you know, four months of training, made it undrafted to the Arizona Cardinals and was like, perfect. Phoenix is a booming market. It's 2016. Quickly realized I actually got to make this team first. And I actually got to <laughs> you know, learn the playbook and that yeah. you don't get your first paycheck until September. And it was April at this point. So I was like, okay cool. Let me make this team stay focused up in that sense and, you know, get prepared. Yeah. And quickly realized I was paying two grand a month for a one bedroom, unfurnished month to month apartment in uh, Tempe, Arizona. It's like, man, I'm going to spend $24,000 this year on air. And there was this, you know, obviously that there's the house hacking strategy uh, that that's uh, preached on bigger pockets and utilized my FHA loan bought a $268,000 apartment building in North Phoenix, had to, you know, had a 50 minute commute every day to my practice facility, had section eight tenants living in my four unit, but was able to successfully house hack, live in one unit and rent out the other three and ultimately live for free and, and cash flow a little bit and set me up. So when I got cut eight months later and went to the Detroit Lions, I took that unit and rented it out and cash flowed a solid amount. Yeah. Yeah. Got to uh, Detroit and ultimately did the same exact thing. Bought a duplex, lived in one side, Airbnb the other side because rent in that market wouldn't have countered my mortgage, but Airbnb did. And really felt like, you know, get my feet established, get my feet wet in the real estate space. And that was when I got involved into the real estate side of the, the cannabis industry. Me and my two partners, we bought a 40 acre patch of land about two hours north of Metro Detroit hedging that cannabis was going to go recreational about eight months later in uh, Michigan at the time. We bought the land for half a million. And when it went wreck eight months later, we got an offer for 7 million. And instead of cashing out, you know, being real estate guys, we realized the leverage we've had considering the land, we can put 42, 20,000 square foot warehouses and grow up to 2000 plants uh, per warehouse. And me, myself, I'm not an expert in cannabis and growing or things like that. So we spent the last two and a half years meeting with and touring the facilities of some of the best growers uh, in the country because we have one of the largest patches of land in Michigan that's zoned to grow and cultivate and uh, extract uh, marijuana. After that year ended in Detroit, I one realized that I wanted to be a, a larger multifamily investor. My goal is to buy you know 150 plus unit apartment communities and to get my feet wet, I took a very practical approach after reading, uh, I'm trying to think what book really, really motivated me. Uh, Multifamily Millionaire and Emerging Markets. Is that, by, uh, is that Dave Lindahl? Dave Lindahl, <laughs> yep. Took a very practical approach on deciding which markets you know I actually wanted to focus on. Went on Fiverr, hired a demographer. I started to scour you know, the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the Census website to find the data of which markets have had the best population growth and best job growth you know, across the United States. And I'm realizing this is too much data for me to even aggregate. It's just not my thing. And <laughs> yeah, it's going to be overwhelming. You get it from uh, the yeah. city data, U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. You're so going to look at all the MSAs. Yeah. It's a lot. 
And yeah. I'm like, I hired someone to just make me an Excel spreadsheet that actually lists the growth from population to jobs to different just metrics that I, I wanted to actually see where I could filter down in a spreadsheet. And after seeing all that data, as soon as the off season started, literally planned a 21 day trip of going market to market to market to market to market to market to market, meeting the people there, meeting brokers, property managers, accountants, other investors and developers in those markets, mm -hmm. and really diving deep and deciding, is this a market I want to focus on? Or is this a market I actually want to uh, stay away from? And it's just funny, the things you learn from just touching down in a market just for a day or two, like funny, interesting story is, I don't think I've told this story much, is when you look at that list broken down in like job growth versus population growth, at that time, I think it's 2017, one of the biggest job growth markets in the United States was a place called Elkhart, Indiana. And I didn't know why, but it wasn't too far from Detroit. When I went out to Elkhart, spent the day there, I'm trying to figure out like, what is so special about this market? It was like an 8% job growth in a year. And like brokers and all that are trying to, like, yeah, it's the best place in the world to invest and like, blah, 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 blah. And I'm talking to just some lady at like a diner. I'm like, what is going on here? Like, what, what's so special about this place? Blah, 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 blah. It's like, oh, you didn't know this is, this is the RV capital of the world. So when the market's hot, this place is hot. When the market is low, it's one of the worst places in the world to live in. This is the actual, the first place Obama visited in 08 post-recession in terms of like, this is the place we need to really, really recover because the RV industry is such a luxury industry that no one has a job when the market's down. I'm like, all right, this isn't a market I'm going to invest in. Let me get on the next flight out of here tomorrow because of yeah. that. But that small data point, I was just looking at it just from a distance. I'm like, damn, this is actually an interesting market to uh, you know, actually focus on or think about. But yes, in that year, went to all these different markets, met all these different people, built out teams, actually went under contract on a, it was an 82 unit uh, property out here in St. Louis, raised the capital for it, was able to negotiate the seller to carry back a percentage of the down payment. Once we got under contract on that project and I got to see the real T12 once we were in due diligence from the seller's accountant, the NOI, you know, from the pro forma that he showed me beforehand versus the actual real T12 of all the item line expenses over the past year, it was, you know, the NOI was off by almost $200,000. And it was like, it was a scary. I just remember the gut wrenching feeling when I saw that. I was literally driving from Detroit to St. Louis because the inspection was the next day when I got the email, I'm literally at the gas station and I'm looking at it just really quick, just like on my phone. But you know, you, you know, numbers off the top of your head when you're just looking I, at certain things. I look at the 200K and I don't even know what the cap rate is, but I, I use the San Antonio cap rate, which is 6%. And I go 200,000 divided by 0.06, $3.3 million valuation change. I don't know what the cap rate is over there, but, but yes, a big dig number. Hello, hello, this is Abel Pacheco your host for the Five Talents Podcast. After listening to a few episodes, deep down, do you know that multifamily and commercial real estate investing is one of the best ways to create financial freedom? If you said yes to that question and you are where I was a few years ago, then I'd absolutely love to connect with you. A few years ago, I started personally consuming a ton of real estate education. I traveled all over the country, as many real estate conferences and seminars that I could go to, I took 200 plus hours of real estate education. I spent thousands of dollars along the way. And I did this because I knew the path to financial freedom for me and my family was through commercial real estate and syndication. So if you've made a similar decision, I'd love to connect with you. And 
Potentially in the future, I'd love to partner with you as well. Take a moment, go to 5tcre.com forward slash invest, and I'd love to set up a time to talk. Big number. And I'm just like, literally my stomach hurt. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. And like, I literally called them, got my earnest money back with, thank God, it was like $150,000 on that deal and walked away. But it was like, man, I just wasted three and a half months of one, just negotiating that deal, driving back and forth from St. Louis to Detroit. But it was ultimately just a massive, massive, massive learning experience. Realized that, was I actually ready? Because I didn't have, he scaled myself because the OTAs and minicamp was starting up again. It was like, I had all this momentum, this entire off season. And then it was like, put on the brakes because I was the bottleneck to everything that I was doing. And that next season that ultimately came around. So I had a two-year-old daughter now, but had her the morning of a game, which really put things in perspective. And as that season carried itself out, I just realized I couldn't be the investor and entrepreneur that I am and wanted to be the dad that I wanted to be and play in the NFL. It just wasn't making sense. You know, I'm, I'm in tears on the way to the facility. I'm in my playbook that I'm writing down, you know, Dallas Cowboys, focus on this guy. Leighton Van Der Esch is going to do X, Y, and Z. This guy is going to do X, Y, and Z. But then the other half of the page is I'm handwriting, underwriting deals just because like that's my passion and I can't have a calculator on my phone out. So I'm literally doing math by hand, like a full scale apartment underwriting next to my actual day to day notes while my coach is talking about whatever at the time. Ultimately, at the end of that season, made the decision to walk away and double down on myself. And since then, bought a smaller multifamily by raising some private capital from some guys that I played with. And am focusing on, you know, in the real time that we are right now, essentially focusing on, I don't plan on deploying capital probably for like the next six to 12 months after being in the real estate space for the past eight years, just realizing that I'm not as passionate about operations as I thought I was mm-hmm. and simply want to focus on the, like the co-syndication space and partnering up with experienced operators in those markets that I want to focus on yep. and partner up and bring capital to essentially some of those types of deals. All right, man, what a tremendous kind of walkthrough of everything. And I, I appreciate the story. I appreciate your grind. I appreciate the the way you attacked it, right? So a few things I'll kind of, you know, mention for our listeners, right? All of those mindsets you heard originally with, with Akeem, and then moving forward, first, the period of five or six months without a check from the NFL, where you're like, oh, there's no check for some period of time. So you know, let me go forward. Now you think or like, okay, I'm I'm here. But I also heard him say, hey, I'm living in the same building with Section 8 tenants, which is that it was this place. So there's probably that mindset or paradigm of like, I'm in the NFL and I'm living in, it, in, in these types of apartments. When I'm Bad. sure your teammates are like, you know, some are probably spending, like really spending, right? Oh, I'm going to make a lot of money spending money they don't have even, right? Oh, yeah. My teammates thought I was insane. Like one, just living in with section eight tenants in that neighborhood that I was living in. Like, bro, you know how much you make? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. it's just, that's not my jam. One, my biggest expense yeah. that I think I had in the NFL was literally my saxophone. I'm, oh, I'm I love it. I love it. I always wanted to play, but could never afford one. But that's- from the standpoint of sacrifice, you know, you talk to a whole bunch of people when it comes to real estate and they're like, oh, my market doesn't have any properties, blah, 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 blah. Everything's so expensive. That's Yeah. If you want to live in downtown Los Angeles, that makes yeah. sense. If I wanted to live in downtown Scottsdale or Tempe, nothing would have fit the price range to actually mm-hmm. make a house hack really work yeah. and profit. But 45 minutes outside of the Valley, 
you know, still having to have a commute every day is the sacrifice that it took to get my feet wet, tap into my first property and honestly build that momentum up and get that yeah. snowball effect and yep. stay. Yes, I'm no, excited, no. you know, man, I'm excited. Absolutely, 100% because, you know, you're going to have to give up something. Something's got to give in your quest for this new success, this quest for new, you know, wealth creation, whether it's free time watching TV, whether it's, you know, social activity, maybe on the social internet or something that you were doing, or literally, you know, living in, in a different kind of place than you were expecting today to build something different for yourself tomorrow. But other thing I heard was, you know, your off season, which is if you think about the actual paradigm of, oh, this is my off season. That was when you turned on in real estate. Oh, man. You turned Holy. on, you every, hit it hard, man. Every every um, single year, my first off season, January 3rd, I think, I made my first post on Bigger Pockets. And it was, <laughs> hey, guys, I'm, you know, just finished my rookie year with the Arizona Cardinals. Want to house hack a fourplex here in Phoenix? Any other like minded multifamily investors I'd love to meet with? Mm -hmm. Like 50 people got back to me and I took them all out to coffee. I would literally sit at the Starbucks for five, six hours a day. And literally people would funnel in and out and we're just sitting down having coffee. And I'm hearing about what they've done from a real estate standpoint, and then maybe hopping in the car with them and then them showing me their entire portfolio in the Phoenix market and then going back to Starbucks and doing it again with the next person, like every single day. I love it. And those are the action items. Like when people say you need to take massive action, I'm a subscriber to taking massive action. I'm also a subscriber to the periodic or small improvements, increments, super small every single day. That to me is actually massive action because it, it starts to basically, you know, bloom into something as the more days, the more hours, the more weeks, months you put into it. Right. That's but real. it's, that's what people don't do. Like they won't reach out and call and have a phone conversation and then meet and then go. And I know it's even harder with COVID, but you know, you got to get out there and you got to network. It doesn't even have to be physically today. It's, I was talking to my other buddy and he goes, man, I know you're kind of bummed out about COVID because I'm a, I'm like an extrovert to the nth degree. He's an introvert to the mm. nth degree. And he goes, man, I actually am loving this time right now. I don't have to meet and shake hands. <laughs> I don't have to do coffees. I don't have to do any of that stuff. He goes, but like I'm still operating, but now I'm just like on the phone, on the internet, you know, we still do the same interaction, except I don't have to drive anywhere. <laughs> and he's like, he feels like he's doing more with less time. And I, you know, I have to agree <laughs> at least on that part, but well, you hired a demographer, you flew out action, 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 putting deals in like your offers went out. I know the deal that you said, man, you feel like you wasted, or you said that season, that off season, Oh, I got to wait till the next one to go do something. Yeah, man, that was the action that you, that, well, that was the time you had action to the nth degree. You go hit it. And then the strength and the ability to say, you know, this is a bad deal. I got to walk away. The capital there, all of that stuff. Super hard thing action. to do. Yeah. Absolutely. And it was a super hard thing to do. I think a lot of people, it's a lot, it's easy to bend in those types of situations. Like I could have switched the equity, you know, split of instead of a 70, 30, maybe go to 90, 10, 95, five. Mm -hmm. And maybe the numbers will still work out since I already put all this work in, but you know, having that taking the emotions out of it and understanding the numbers to just genuinely walk away. Yeah, this is awesome. So this has been an amazing conversation. I, I know we have, you know, I would spend all day with you if I could. We have a hard stop, so we have a few minutes. Let me at least, you know, before we go on to another few questions, 
if somebody wants to reach out to you, where's the best place for them to get into a world to learn a little bit more? And we'll kind of, you know, mention this before we have a few more questions here. I probably say LinkedIn, just Hakeem Vallis on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, I actually took a brief hiatus because I've been head down with just pivots with my own company. I haven't been focusing on content and just not judging myself on putting out content. But I know within the next like three days, I'm about to put out a heavy storm of content coming soon. But that's the platform where I'm doing my most networking and looking always to have a conversation with someone. Yep. Okay, great. So reach out to him. He would love to get into your world and vice versa. And Hakeem, I think you were the first person that sent me a video LinkedIn message. And you were like, hey, Abel, you know, a little video, like, I don't know where you were, but it just seemed like, oh, there's some guy pinging me, right? Hey, Abel, nice to meet you. Thanks for connecting. And I'm watching this video. I go, dang, that's pretty cool. And I, I sent you one back and kind of vice versa. I go, who is this guy? Oh, this is Mr. NFL, you know, former football player. Oh, this is Mr. Real Estate. Oh, this is Mr. Content Creation King. You know, I look at it, I go, dang, I need to get into more of this. And I started looking through a lot of the content. One resonated with me. And, you know, there was a lot of things that led up to me creating a podcast. My coach, Marcus Ogden, my mentor, and one of my real estate coaches, I've done a bunch of deals. He's got a podcast. I started getting my interviews, like where people ask me, hey, you got a cool story. You went from eight single family doors to 800. How did you do that? And I I started jumping on podcast interviews myself, but, you know, did like eight or 10 of them. And I go, man, I want to do this like a lot. So how do I do that? I saw one of your posts. It was like, hey, are you trying to do X, Y, and Z in real estate and really get it on or meet whatever industry you're in? You're trying to go meet more people and do that. Why don't you start a podcast? And you were telling somebody else talking to me and I go, this is, I got to go. You were the straw that broke the camel's back. And I, I think the next day I was like, Hey, I didn't even know how to do any of the video or technical or other stuff. I just started reaching out to people. I'm going to start a podcast. I'd love to interview. Let's go to zoom, you know, let me know. And I, and I started recording shows before I figured out how to like publish them. But anyway, yeah. So thank you. Tell us about that. So I know you're in real estate. I know you're buying deals. That's really cool. You know, hopefully we get some investors, et cetera, for you as you do this. But tell us whatever you want to focus on for the next few minutes before you got to go. Yeah, I, I definitely say I'm glad you mentioned the uh, LinkedIn video. It's one of the most we're talking tactical tactics for anyone out there. It's pattern disruption at scale. You know, LinkedIn, everyone's sending the same BS copy and paste message or u- utilizing the automated tools that are out there. And I'm a big fan of scaling the unscalable. You know, people see that video type of outreach. And first thing, some people who has an automated mindset is how do we scale this? Can we send this video to everybody? I'm like, it doesn't really work like that because you can't say everyone's name at the beginning, at the very beginning of it. And when you can add that personal touch to it, the humanizing effect to it, but do it at scale, it's a way to honestly accelerate the growth of your network because your average person on LinkedIn has not received a video message from anyone. And like I said, we're humans at the end of the day, we're wildly smart and we have pattern recognition out of this world. So we all know when someone just sent us a copy and paste message of, hey, Hakeem, thank you for the connection request. I see we have the same like blah, 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 blah. And like, are you adding this person as a connection request so you can have a vanity metric in your connection request? So I have 5,000 connection requests. Or are you actually adding this person because maybe there's a genuine connection. Maybe this person is a partner of Devin Elder and maybe there is some synergies in the future that we could probably make something happen. And when you reach out initially at the beginning with no ask, just, hey, Abel, happy to be in your network, happy to be connected with you. Anything I can ever do, don't hesitate to reach out. Boom, 
now you've opened the door for an actual real conversation, yeah. a real genuine interaction. And maybe there is a follow-up conversation or maybe there's not. I sent a plenty of those videos and people just watch them and probably like, the hell is this dude trying to, you know, what is he trying to sell me or, or whatever, yeah. whatever. Yeah. I think 10 seconds of, okay, I just took a poop. Now I'm walking back to my desk. Let me shoot this video. Or I just got to my office and I'm walking inside. Let me shoot this quick video. And like, that's the time yeah. that I'll squeeze in to knock out just LinkedIn video messages. And then from a podcast <laughs> standpoint, in a 2020 world, especially for introverts or extroverts, it's the way to tap in and honestly accelerate the growth of your network. One thing I've found is that everyone has a story and no one's necessarily listening. And when you're that person who provides a platform for someone to come and tell their story on, those people tend to love you forever. It's a lot big difference of you asking someone to pick their brain over Starbucks than asking them to, hey, I would love to have you come on my show called The Five Talents of Commercial Real Estate Multifamily Investments. It just hits a different endorphin in that person's brain. And now instead of having just someone whose brain you pick and a, a guru or mentor in your, your network from an alpha beta type of relationship. Now it's, you guys are on the same level and you guys like me and you will be friends after this. And I can't wait to come down to Texas and kick it with you. You know what I mean? A hundred percent agreed. hundred percent, man. And so how do you turn that? And cause we have passive investors that are listening and probably general partners, like people that are newer, younger in their 10 year commercial real estate. Oh, this is my first deal. My second deal, my third deal, whatever. How do we turn this? into business for ourselves. I don't, I'm a passive investor. I'm trying to find more GPs or I'm a, you know, I'm trying to find more investors. We're trying to find each other ultimately. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it's, <laughs> it's tactical. I think if you're a, if you're a passive investor and you're trying to find GPs, I don't think there's pe many people who are turning down money, but I think from a networking standpoint, especially if you're an experienced operator or honestly, if you are a passive investor, it depends on what you want to do. If you're a passive investor and you want, you're a doctor and you want to grow a network of other doctors who are also going to invest alongside of you and you're going to run this investment group and deploy capital to different people, starting a podcast called ER or 911, yeah. just yeah. around doctors where you guys are talking about crazy stories in, in like in the ICU or whatever, who, like whatever your niche is in the doctor realm. Yeah. Because all you guys have that same common interest and you guys all have that common synergy. Like your show is going to be wildly entertaining for other people in that niche. It's like watching cops or listening or watching a hospital show, but the audio version of it. Yeah. The beauty of it is other people in that realm are also going to listen to that show and the community that you can create on the back end. So if you were a doctor, I was a doctor and we just talked about, tell me about that time when you saved someone's life, blah, 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 blah. After the show, when I mentioned to you, hey, Abel, by the way, what are you doing like, you know, from a passive standpoint when it comes to your money? Like, are you investing in X, Y, Z? Are you doing blah, 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 blah? Because we're friends now at this point. Yeah. Now it's like, oh, by the way, I've been investing passive in these deals with this guy, Devin Elder and, and Abel, and we're doing X, Y, and Z. We're getting X amount of returns, blah, 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 blah. Now you've got another member into your network versus reaching out to them cold saying, hey, I see your doctor, invest in this deal, blah, 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 blah. A podcast is a nice way to warm people up. And that's from a passive standpoint. An active standpoint, it's essentially the same exact thing. It's it's the biggest networking tool to allow you on the back end to give you the leverage to actually connect the dots and put deals together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you've kind of taken that to an, another degree and you're headed towards TikTok or, you know, which is like open space, green space yeah. right now, probably so, the long-term investment into the future. But that's uh, real. tell us about that too, before you go. For me, when it comes to TikTok, it's I'm a practitioner with everything I do. I wouldn't be giving any type of TikTok advice or strategy unless I didn't have 142,000 followers on the platform. Oh, and I've done that since June. Like June, I had 55 followers. That was it. From June um, till today. So we're only, recording this in November. 
Okay, it's 2020. Four or five months. In this past week, I've gotten 33,000 new followers. And it's oh my gosh. real estate content, entrepreneurship content, and just me being an athlete type of content. There's no dancing or anything of that sort. Give us so, give us like what it is. Yeah, yeah, just give us a yeah, couple of man. The biggest piece of advice and the thing about TikTok, why it's so important is it is a real estate play. If I told you you could buy real estate in New York City in 1940 for pennies on the dollar, knowing it was going to be New York City, you would do it every single time. I'm telling you that this is going to be the same exact thing, except this real estate's free. Right now, some of the initial data points on TikTok versus the other platforms, Facebook's daily average consumption is 12 minutes a day. Instagram is 25 minutes a day. TikTok is 85 minutes a day. Oh There's 100 million active users on the platform here in the yeah. United States. Yeah. 40% of that 100 million is 25 years and older. So people mm. think it's a whole bunch of little kids on the platform. It's yeah, not necessarily yeah. the truth. And when it comes to algorithms and attention, it's all about supply and demand. There's all these people on the platform. Your average person isn't posting. It's just like LinkedIn. It's very parallel to LinkedIn in terms of you. my first post on LinkedIn. I got 55,000 views with 300 connections. Like wow. that's the punchline. My first week on TikTok, I have a video on TikTok with 2.9 million views that I also put on LinkedIn that only got 2,000 views. That's the punchline. On Instagram, it got a thousand views. On Facebook, it got five hundred views. But when I contextually posted it to TikTok, it got two point nine million. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the punchline and opportunity that everyone's missing out. And if you're not trying to make a million dollars in the next year and you actually want to be in business in perpetuity for the next 20, 30 years, it would be wise when there is a mass exodus to the platform of TikTok for you to have a quarter million followers, for you to have a half a million followers. So you are already the established thought leader in that space. It's going to be an accelerant to the truth, whether you're a genuine dope real estate investor or you're a snake oil salesman and you're conning everyone. People are going to find out very fast. That's the ultimate punchline. Mm -hmm. Man, what an amazing show. What an amazing time and topic. I look forward to having you again and you know continuing to follow up because you, you've got also a lot of technical knowledge, uh, but this is a great conversation you know, for, for openers and, and really appreciate your time. Akeem. Is there anything else we didn't touch on? Anything I didn't talk about? Anything I didn't ask about specifically that you wanted to you know, highlight uh, on the show? Nothing specifically. One of my best pieces of advice I've ever heard was the fortunes in the follow-up. We're presented with hundreds of millions of thousands of opportunities on a day-to-day -day basis, but no one follows up. We listen to podcasts all the time. Usually the hosts ask the guests, what's the best way to people to reach out to you? Oh, just hit me up on LinkedIn, blah, 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 blah. No one's actually doing it. Mm -hmm. Follow up. That's where all the fortune is. All right. What an amazing note. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Akeem. Man, it's been a pleasure. So again, my name is Abel Pacheco. I'm your host for the Five Talents Podcast. If you heard something today that was more than valuable, which I know there was a few nuggets, I took a couple pages of notes myself, then go subscribe to our show rate and review, leave us a written review, and then do the same thing. I'm going to go check out Hakeem on TikTok to find out exactly what this content is. And uh, appreciate your time, man. Awesome, my friend. I appreciate you having me, Abel. Have a good cool one. All right. Bye-bye. See you, man. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. Each week, we're going to bring you interviews from other industry experts and commercial real estate investors who followed their dreams and achieved massive success. If you enjoyed this episode, then you're going to want a copy of our Passive Investor's Guide, Tackling Commercial Real Estate the Easy Way. It's the guide we use to invest in $93 million of commercial real estate. It's a 65-page ebook. It's a great resource to learn the basic mechanics of multifamily syndications, and we're going to show you how to evaluate your next passive investment opportunity. 
So if you subscribe to our podcast now, leave us a review and a rating, I'm going to give you a free copy. So take a moment to do that now. We'd appreciate it. And then you can register for the book at 5tcre.com forward slash ebook, 5tcre.com forward slash ebook. Let us know and we're going to send you a copy. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Five Talents podcast.